Hi everyone, this is Pete Perusik. I want to welcome you to this edition of the Weathered Athlete Podcast, a place for us to honor those athletes that refuse to go quietly into the night. As a weathering triathlete and a physical therapist, I will spend my time talking with those athletes that continue to make the necessary repairs and continue to move forward. They may have a few cracks in their foundation or a squeaky step, and their patinas may continue to fade, but they are no less glorious than years prior. In fact, I feel they have more heart and resolve as they have weathered and can provide the pathway and set the standard that we should all live by. My goal is to determine what sets these individuals apart from the rest of society. After the discussion is over, I encourage you to stick around to hear a breakdown from a physical therapist's perspective on how this weathering athlete is able to keep moving forward. Don't forget to hit subscribe, leave me a comment, and share with your friends. Today, I'm honored to be joined by the owner of Bloomington Bagel Company, a running and triathlon coach, an ultra runner, a triathlete, and fellow Buffalonian, Sue Aquila from mile number 19. It was great to find out that we grew up 20 minutes from each other outside of Buffalo and that we both survived the legendary blizzard of 77. So much fun. She has a pretty impressive race resume, including women's 45 to 49 age group champion at Ironman Louisville and Ironman Texas. She is a three-time Kona finisher with her last in 2014, finishing with an impressive time of 11.52.27. What's even more impressive is her 3.49.15 marathon during that event. Along with running Bloomington Bagel Company, she has multiple other business ventures. We discuss how she has managed this COVID environment as business owner, triathlete, and coach. We talk about her humble beginnings at her first sprint triathlon. We discuss how she has been filling her time during COVID with training and learning to play pickleball with her wife. She details what has made her successful over the years, both in business and in life, including those individuals that provide guidance. She provides great insight into how she has dealt with failure and how she deals with any bad thoughts with racing and how she plans to continue to move forward and not go quietly into the night. I hope you enjoy. Hey. Hey, Sue. How are you doing? I'm well. I love that you grew up in East Aurora. That's awesome. Yeah. Where are you from? Uh, Amherst, Snyder. Oh, okay. Yeah. I went to Damon College for PT. Oh, you did? Yeah. That's great. Did you go to Catholic school or growing up? Or no, I grew like up that? in East. I went to East Aurora High. Um, yeah. And graduated in 87 and then went to uh, Cortland State. Did some undergrad there for three years and then went back to Damon. Graduated in 93. And, oh, wow. What are you doing now? I'm a physical therapist. I do home care primarily. Oh, great. Yeah. Are you working on Louisa or training with her? Training with her. Yeah. It's, um, okay. <laughs> yeah. Louisa is awesome. Yeah. She's great. We miss her here. She was a big part of the community here. So, yeah. It's, um, we, uh, we're on the tri team together. So, good. To well, she's a great athlete and she's getting to the point with her kids' age where, uh, I think you're really going to see her shine. Yes. Yes. She is a fierce competitor. Yes, she is. It's <laughs> awesome. And I love the accent. So it's a yeah. kind of a win-win all around. A- absolutely. It is. So thanks, Sue. I want you. I want to thank you for joining me on the Weathered Athlete Podcast. Um, as I was doing this podcast, Louisa reached out to me and said, you have to talk to Sue. Sue is somebody you have to talk to. So I looked into your stuff. Pretty incredible stuff that you're doing. And happened to find your uh, Kona time uh, pretty impressive, uh, what from 2014. So how many uh, times? 
Yeah. How many times have you done Kona? Uh, I've done Kona three times. Um, I did do it once with whooping cough, which oh. I don't recommend. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't realize it till afterwards. Um, so yeah, it was three times. It's and that race is the real deal. Yeah, it is the hardest one in the circuit, and uh, it uh, it is an amazing community experience, and uh, and also a reckoning. Yeah. <laughs> in a lot of ways so there's a lot of uh uh time to think out there um, <laughs> <laughs> and question some of your choices yeah, we're going to talk about that a little bit so what <laughs> what years did you do that what years did i do that that's a good question i have done so many races and yeah. i'm not good at remembering the races how many races or the years i did them okay yeah i know so, i saw 2014 was, was 2014 the... that's about right yeah okay yeah. Okay. So that was the last time you probably did it. Yeah. Okay. 2014, 2012, 2013, 2014. Yeah. Okay. So three years in a row. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. It was how, a great run. Um. So how long have you been doing triathlon? Well, I started uh, when I was about 39. Okay. And I had a group of women I ran with who had little kids. We all had little kids at the time. And I wasn't in very good shape, even though we ran. Yeah. And one of my friends, Tatiana, we call her the Greek goddess. <laughs> uh, I think I'm frustrated with how slow I was running. And she's like, you know, I think you should try some triathlon, like some swimming and biking stuff. And so she kind of talked me into it. And I did my first race, which was literally in a, a racetrack and a, with a horse pond. You swam in a horse pond in Indiana. <laughs> and um, I had a friend who had done an Ironman. I asked her advice or like, you know, take your time in transition to have a really effective race. Yeah. Well, it was a sprint triathlon. It was probably not the best advice. So to this day, people tease me about making a cappuccino in transition. So. <laughs> um, but I, I definitely finished back of the pack at that race, but it lit a fire and uh, helped me lose about 50 pounds and, and, you know, really focus on the sport of triathlon instead of just running. Okay, cool. So how old are you now? I am 53. Okay. So you've been doing it for about 14 years. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. So that first one. Uh, not weathered, I'm tethered. <laughs> <laughs> As I joke, we're all weathering one day at a time, you know. Yes, but... <laughs> we are. Moment to moment. Whether we like it or not. Um... We have in my business, the running joke is employee of the moment. Athlete in the moment. <laughs> so, yeah, what type of business do you uh, run? I started in uh, 1996, uh, Bloomington Bagel Company. Okay. So, and then eventually, uh, so we grew to uh, four stores, a catering business, production facility, um, and then I have a real estate development company, too. Very cool. So, very busy. So uh, No, I'm not very busy. Okay. Um, the pandemic has definitely thrown a wrench into the restaurant businesses yeah. um, and required some added focus, but I'm not one of those people that I, I'm very good at saying no to things. Okay. If it's not a hell yeah, it's a no, essentially. So I don't find myself to be very busy. Okay. That's good. So how has being a business owner, how has that influenced your doing triathlon? I think uh, we self-select if you're an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. 
And I think that you're pretty self-motivated to start with probably. Uh, and you see the benefits of it if it's successful. Yeah. And so I was able to apply some of those principles, which is, you know, know what you're going to do each day, check it off, check the box off, um, get it done, do the best you can move on to the next day kind of thing. So, um, and I think they reinforce each other as I got more efficient at triathlon, I became a more efficient business owner. Yeah. Um, so I think both areas of my life benefited from it. Yeah, that's good. I think, uh, how about as far as competition goes, have you had a lot of competition in the bagel and coffee business? Yes, we have. Yeah. And I took our team out to happy hour many times when the other ones closed. So (laughs) joy of working with college students. Um, so, uh, yes, we've had a lot of competition. Okay. But we've completely had to, I had to furlough everyone except for one key employee. Um, and I had to get back to learning how to do the stuff I started with baking, making dough. And, and so we pivoted a lot. Um, you know, and our, our goal is to get through this till a vaccine comes up essentially. And I think we're going to make that. So that's good. Okay. So are you open right now or limited hours? What is the, we are, uh, but we've chosen unlike most places, I think, uh, as you know, restaurants and gyms, um, uh, are very dangerous for COVID in terms of contagiousness. So we have decided we pivoted all of our stores to only do, uh, uh, walk-up service or delivery. And okay. that's actually, people have responded really well to it. Okay. That's good. Are things starting to close back down in Indiana? Uh, we should have. It's it's probably too late. Yeah. Yeah. I think we're, what a, in North Carolina, we're what, starting to close back down again. Yeah. We should have closed down a couple of weeks ago. Really? So it just, unfortunately, you know, we just don't have the leadership making the tough decisions right now. Okay. So with time, I think, you know, we'll see what happens. I think everything's starting to uh, we've gone from 50 people to now back down to 10. Um, so yeah. I think that's happening. It uh, was really hard. I sponsor a free 5k every year on Thanksgiving morning. We have about a thousand people show up. We give them coffee and they each get a nice water bottle and everything else. And this was the first year that we've had to cancel. Okay. And that was really hard, but it was the right decision. Okay. Have you been doing any events? Is there anything locally going on? You know, there's stuff going on and I'll probably upset some people with this, but uh, I feel very strongly that we shouldn't be racing right now, that it's not, I'm not seeing any, really any cases of a transmission from people racing, Mm -hmm. but it's everything around the race. That's a problem. The travel, the spectators, the volunteers, the people that are working the race and it's a hobby and I love it. And I know people tease me that I don't treat it like a hobby, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I think for the greater good, we can all be of service um, by staying put. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think you're right. I think what's well, happening. So I think what did open up is now closing back down again. So I don't think we'll see mm-hmm. much of anything going on the rest of this year, which is probably wise. And then let's just start next year. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So did you play any sports growing up? Uh, I did. I played four sports in high school in Buffalo. You could do that. Yeah. Back in the day <laughs> before we had specialization and AAU and everything else. It was just like, oh, a sport, you play. Yeah. Um, and I grew up playing field hockey, which I really loved. Okay. And uh, so I played that in college at St. Lawrence, upstate New York. Okay. 
a lot of I noticed a lot of uh, triathletes come from field hockey backgrounds. I think you ha- can handle the pain and the run. <laughs> so were you always running? No, I was always pretty much overweight. Okay, actually, even when in college. Okay. So and I didn't like running. Um, so it was uh, shocking to everyone, including me, that um, later on in life, I took up running and actually enjoyed it. Okay. Um, and then how about cycling? When did that transition to cycling? Cycling happened because of triathlon. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you know, I had to learn how to uh, do it. I had done a little bit after college, um, but never really got into it. And then uh, started because of triathlon. And we live in, I live in Bloomington, Indiana. So okay. if you've seen the movie Breaking Away. Yeah. Uh, we have the little 500 here every year, and it's as big of a deal as it is in the movie. Yeah. Well, we have great cycling all around us. We, what we lack is the one thing that would truly help me is mountains. Okay. We have little short, you know, rollers, but we don't have a big climb that would make me a even stronger cyclist over time. Okay. Um. So it's a great area for it. Okay. So how do you work on that aspect of your cycling then? Uh, I... You know, it's very interesting. When I started the sport, it was all about group activities, right? Mm -hmm. And the connection and um, being out in the road and everything else. And as I moved up to the pointy end, um, I realized that I had to do more work on my own. And because part of it is people that are not doing the sport that are doing fitness can go hard a lot all the time. Mm -hmm. People that are going long, we've got a limitation on how much we can uh, burn the candle, so to speak. So, uh, and then the other thing is safety. When I first started the sport, the roads seemed to be safer. Mm -hmm. Now with smartphones, people are much more distracted, which you may have noticed too. Um, So I've learned that uh, if I stay on my trainer probably six days a week and I do the really hard focus workouts on my trainer, that is the most beneficial because I don't have to look out for cars or dogs yeah. or anything else. Yeah. So, so that's kind of how it's evolved for me. Um, and I actually like the trainer. I don't mind it. Okay. You're the one. Yeah. I'm the <laughs> one. I mean, it's not, I, I have a nice, I have, so I was sponsored by diamond bikes. Okay. So my bike doesn't have a seat stay, so you can't ride on a regular trainer. Yeah. So I have one of those, uh, emotion roller, Okay. With the, the front fork uh, attachment, but the way they've set it up now, the whole bike moves. So it mimics the road. Okay. Which has been fantastic. Okay. How hard was it to get used to riding that? Uh, it wasn't. And I actually learned how to do rollers. Now, having said that, I do it in a doorway. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cause I heard it's a hard transition. It is, it is, but it's very good. It turned out to be a very good uh, skill set for me to develop. Yeah. Um, and it, it, it kind of makes it different because you're trying not to die in the house <laughs> and occasionally they hear me go, ah, <laughs> hanging on by the door frame. So, um, but yeah, I, I, I think it's helpful. I don't think it, you have to do it. Yeah. We can get by on not being great cyclists sometimes. Yeah. I'm fortunate that I have had some people, um, push me to be a much better cyclist. Okay. And that has paid off. Okay. Do you also do things like Zwift or Trainer Road or anything like that? I don't. Okay. I really, and I have a lot of friends that do, and they love yeah. it. So I'm not down in it at all. I've like athletes I work with that love it. 
it's great. Um, I'd like to know the work, specific work I'm doing and get it done. I also know I'm hyper competitive (laughs) (laughs) and bad things could happen. I just know that. What did you do today? Oh, I blew myself up again in a Zwift race. Yeah. So uh, I have to like temper it a little bit. So that's how I temper it. Probably a wise choice. Yeah. And I also think I, I, I love to dig deep. And it's a pandemic. Yeah. And I don't see me racing maybe the end of next year. Yeah. But probably we're looking at 23. Okay. Um. I think we have to be careful of how much we dig deep. And uh, I'm one of those uh, endurance athletes that responds really well to high volume. The sweet spot for me is about 20 hours a week. Okay. And, uh, but I also am one of those endurance athletes that tends to have a low white blood cell count when I train normally. So I had to make a decision at the start of the pandemic and I reduced my volume. Okay. um, Quite, quite a bit. Um, and I actually just took a blood test this week and my blood, white blood cell count went up okay. because of that. So, um, I just wanted to be prepped. So in case I did get sick, I could, my body could mount a decent response. Um, so I think in the pandemic too, we have to make good choices that we're not exhausting ourselves. We're not burning ourselves out. We're not setting ourselves up for, you know, getting really sick. Yeah. Um, and that, you know, I'm banking on those reserves when I start racing again. Okay. Did you have any, you know, when in the beginning, when things started to get canceled, how was that kind of mentally for you as, as whatever races you did have get canceled? How, how'd you handle that? Uh, I loved to race, but I saw what was happening in our community and I kind of felt like all the training and stuff I'd done I, I don't know about you, but maybe it prepared us for this moment, right? That it prepared us for uh, delayed gratification, which is what our sport is. Mm-hmm. It prepared us to endure, which is what our sport is. So as much as I personally missed it, there's something bigger going on right now. And I need to serve my community in the best way I can. And that's what I've been focused on. Okay. So, um, so that helped. But um, one of the ways that I helped with my uh, need for some competition was um, my uh, wife is a really good tennis player. Okay. <laughs> and pickleball has been going on. And she normally, when I'm in season, I would never try yeah. anything else. Yeah. You know, I move on one plane well, but not <laughs> multiple planes. And she talked me into playing pickleball. And it's hysterical and so much fun. And we play against some college students and, and she's so good that she can pretty much occupy three quarters of the court. So I just move <laughs> on one plane on my little quarter of the court. So she was a, a division one coach and volleyball player. So when she smashes the ball, the other teams run away yeah. off the court. So, so it's highly entertaining. I'm having some fun competing at that. Yeah. I've yet to do pickleball. I heard it's so much fun. I'm shocked how much fun it is. And the thing is, there's no barrier to entry. Like our sport, you've got to have a bike. Yeah. Right. You've got to have access to a pool. You've got all this stuff. And and pickleball, you don't even have to have to have a serve like tennis. You just yeah. underhand serve. So it's low barrier to entry. And I keep telling people this is the time to explore other things. Yeah. That we might not normally do. Yeah. 
So I got a ski erg for home. Okay. So I've been doing that. And uh, right now I'm in a, a block where I'm doing really heavy strength training. Okay. So squats and bench press, things like that, that aren't going to take away. I'm not concerned about taking away from my performance right now. Okay. Did you do a lot of strength training before? Not really. I did some in college. And what had happened, I qualified for Kona. And I noticed that if I wanted to continue to do well in the sport, the women were stronger than I was. So I'm very fortunate with Indiana University here. Um, the head strength coach, uh, Tom Morris, um, wanted to work with me. And we had a nutritionist in a bod pod. So we went out, we embarked on a winter project one year. And the goal was get too strong. <laughs> so, uh, so we did bod pod. The nutritionist set up my diet, strength training. I had to eat 4,000 calories a day in the winter. Wow. Uh, which turned into a job. I know that sounds bizarre, <laughs> but it turned into a serious job. But it was amazing. We put on a ton of muscle. Okay. Um, so it was really beneficial. So working and having someone of that caliber and yeah. those facilities, I'm very fortunate. Yeah, that's great because that strength, um, it, it helps a whole lot as far as just your overall endurance. Um, so what year well, was that? That was probably 12, 2013, okay. 14. Okay. And, and as you know, weathered athletes, right? Yeah. Part of that process is we lose, we lose muscle mass over time. Yeah. And it's, I, I want to stay as healthy as I can, as long as I can. I mean, okay. I'm, I'm striving for acute morbidity. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I'm gonna make it quick. Yeah. As far as stretching, do you do a lot of stretching? I don't do any. Don't do any. Okay. Even after any or none. Okay. Dynamic warm up. I know talking to a physical therapist and say that you're like, oh my gosh. Um, I have tried it, mm -hmm. and I've tried yoga. Um, I have a lot of uh. After I race, and it could be a 5K to an Ironman, I have, or uh, uh, some of the ultras I've done, I have a lot of uh, DOMs afterwards. It's very bad. Okay. And uh, so I've tried stretching. I've tried all this stuff. Um, and I find I'm a better runner when I'm a little bit tighter. Okay. Which is not unusual, as I've heard and read. Yeah. So, um, and I tend to not have any injuries. Okay. So I've been very fortunate. So I kind of have continue to let that roll but i do have a lot of athletes i work with that love stretching and they respond very well to it okay so and, yeah and i recommend it yeah so you're a coach as well yes okay how many athletes about do you do you coach typically uh, at a time i usually coach about 10 okay and it kind of age groups young to old how what's the oldest do you think? Uh, it it doesn't matter right now i've been working with a group of runners. So I have a, uh, I work through ethos endurance, but we have a group called gate nine, okay. uh, running crew. And we have anywhere from 20 to 30 people show up okay. and I plan their runs Tuesdays and Thursdays. Um, and we have everything from current college athletes to sometimes we have a woman that qualified for that race, the Olympic marathon trials. So we have all different caliber. Okay. We have a little half mile loop in an IU parking lot that's lit mm -hmm. with a lot of trees and stuff. So nobody gets lost. It's a great experience. <laughs> the fast people cheer on someone that might be slower. The slower people cheer on the fast people. 
Okay. And even a pandemic, people are showing up. Okay. And we practice physical distancing. We're super careful. Yeah. Um, and hill, they do everything from hill repeats to 400. We just finished a race series and now we're doing the, um, uh, a winter race series. So it's, it's really fun. Okay. So then as far as obviously then you're setting your own training plans up yourself. Yes. Okay. I, I've been very fortunate. I worked with two of the best coaches, uh, I think in the world, Gordo Byrne, who started me out. I don't know if you've read his book, No. but, uh, he worked with Joe Friel and then, uh, Marilyn Chicota. Okay. And, uh, and Marilyn still helps me anytime I need it. And okay. And so I've been very fortunate, but yeah, I self-program. Okay. Yeah. I saw, um, through your website, I saw the link to her website and I couldn't quite figure out if you were coaching with, with her or whether. No, I have she's... been, I okay. have been, but I've started a, a ethos endurance here locally. So, and we have people, athletes all over too. It's not just people in Bloomington. So, okay. um, that participate in stuff. Okay. And then, so, um, are they mostly, you know, high, uh, performers? Do you work with kind of some middle of the packers or backpackers type of thing? I work with, uh, I will work with anyone that mm-hmm. has the commitment. Yeah. I don't, some of the athletes I enjoy working the most with have the most to learn. Yeah. And I really, uh, they can be just flipping fantastic to work with because yeah. they just want to be a good student and they get so excited. Right. Yeah. And, and then- it's, it's, it just, and at the end of the day, they make you smile. You're like, this was, this was fantastic. Um, so I really, really enjoy that. Yeah. I think it's, it's awesome to see the gains that some of them can make too. They're going to, you're going to see the gains quicker with those individuals. Right. right. And they yeah, get much the more excited. It's better for them and better for us. <laughs> Absolutely. It is, you know, and, high- and you know, sometimes, <laughs> People get, they live or die on the seconds. And, you know, I just, I'm not one of those people, you know, if my workout doesn't go well, it didn't go well. Yeah. I'll be back at it again. Okay. You know, but I, I like the new people that they're just happy that they're moving. Yeah. 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 There's benefit in that. So have you had to overcome any injuries at all? Yeah. There's only two kinds of runners, right? Those are injured and those who will be injured. (laughs) Um, I've had some, uh, I am prone to Achilles injuries. If I, with my calves, sometimes Mm -hmm. if I'm not in the right shoes. Okay. So I have to have a a higher heel drop, which for a while was really hard to get shoes that had a higher heel drop again. Yeah. Um, So if I'm in the right shoe, that's really important. Okay. And then how about swimming? Were you a, a good swimmer to start with? Uh, who would ever have said I was a good swimmer? <laughs> no, I'm just asking. <laughs> I literally, uh, my wife, Katie, this, this is a true story. I have won races. I have been in the shower after the race. And all of a sudden I hear her voice go, when are we going to fix your swimming? <laughs> <laughs> so according to my household, the swimming is not there. Yeah. Um, it doesn't come naturally to me and I don't really enjoy it. Okay. It's kind of, um, I need to do it to participate in the sport. Yeah. I wish I was better at it. I've tried many things. Um, 
the thing that has worked the best for me is getting strong in the water. So I do a lot of paddle work and a lot of buoy work. Um, I, I joke that I'm the fittest hour 20 Ironman swimmer you'll meet. Uh, <laughs> and then I get out of the water and I got to make it all up on the bike in the run. So, um, and I haven't been swimming since our camp in February. Okay. And we barely got our camp in. And yeah. then we were shut down. So, uh, and I haven't been back to a pool since because my mother-in-law is 90 lives with us. So I'm okay. staying out of the gym. Yeah. So that's partly why I got the ski erg was it mimics swimming a bit. Okay. Yeah. The reason I ask, I think the swimming is usually the uh, toughest for most of the people, other than if you come from a swimming background, you know, those people mm-hmm. are, are amazing. You know, they're out of the water in the beginning of the pack where the rest of us are kind of struggling through the swim and you're right then you're trying to make it up and you're right i was looking at your times from kona from 2014 you 120 on the swim but what 349 on the run so you definitely made it up on the run so that's impressive (laughs) and one of those konas um i had i had been uh racing muncie which was about six to eight weeks before that Okay. And I was stupid on the bike how I threw a water bottle and I crashed at like 25 miles an hour. Broke my collarbone. Wow. And I'm very fortunate that a friend was an orthopedic. He put a bar in right away. Okay. And so I went to Kona that year, hardly swimming at all, having just wrecked. Wow. So, and that, that actually went okay. That swim took a long time. Yeah. <laughs> so I was grateful to get out of the water, but. Yeah, I heard it's not the not an easy swim. It's not. It it's a bizarre swim because you start in the water close to shore. It's cold. Yeah. Because it's spring fed there, comes off the mountains. Yeah. But then you go out in the ocean. It's hotter than hell, and you know you're being stalked by a shark the whole time. <laughs> you just are like absolutely convinced it's going to pluck you. You want to be faster than the slowest person. <laughs> you know? And then you've got currents. It's just bizarre. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I do a lot of, I'm fortunate. I do a lot of ocean swimming because of where we vacation. Okay. Um, but it's clear. But, but I did get chased by a shark the last time. So, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not making it up anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's un- unfortunate, you know, with uh, part of COVID too. I think I've avoided the pool and I think most people have at this point, you know. So. Yeah. Well, and one of your training partners actually helped teach me how to swim, Louise Razek. Yeah, so that's... she's phenomenal, and I, 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 and you could, and I guarantee I would be a better swimmer today if she hadn't moved away on me. So it's her fault. It's her fault. You can tell her that. <laughs> I'll make sure I let her know that. But yeah, she had yeah. told me that she had, uh, she had worked with you on swimming. Yeah, she was great. She's a great coach. Yeah. So, what do you think uh, a couple secrets to your success are? I think that understand your values. So for me, it's my family, my health, my business. So, um, and my health is where the tra- training part comes under. Yeah. You know, I, I'm not really joking when I'm saying acute morbidity. I want to be as healthy as I can as long as I can. Yeah. And that's why I do it. So that's why I don't quit either. If I have a poor race or something, I don't walk away from it. Um, I think consistency, you know, I, I train seven days a week. Okay. Um, Gordo taught me the great concept of no zeros that we're always active. Okay. Um, 
and it works really well for me. Um, that in day in and day out, that's what I do. Okay. And, um, and I think that for me, I know there's this kind of anti-technology movement. Um, and I understand why, because when we measure something, it's always not as fun. Yeah. <laughs> but for me, technology has been super helpful because it has shown me um, to not work too hard. Okay. That there has to be these easy days. And here's where the easy days lie. And they're often much less than you think in terms of effort, heart rate, power, watts, whatever. Okay. And also conversely, it shows me how hard I have to work to get the type of fitness response I need. Okay. So technology to me feels like I get to cheat at the sport at my development. Okay. So are you keeping track of your heart rate all the time? Uh, not as much as I used to. Okay. I still do it a lot. Hard days, I always wear my heart rate strap. Okay. Um, uh, I'm really dialed into my effort level at this point. So I know on my easy days, how easy I should be going. Okay. Um, I do look at, I wear my Garmin watch all the time. So I always look to see, uh, at night, does my resting heart rate drop enough? Okay. If it doesn't, that might mean I'm a little fatigued, um, and that I need another easy day. Okay. Uh, and I'm always looking at my bike watts. I always wear my heart rate on my bike. Okay. Um, so yeah. Okay. And it, I, it's super helpful. It's not a burden to me. It's, you know, and if it, it, you learn too how to adjust to it. So, you know, my heart rate's a little high. What if I drink this bottle of water? <laughs> <laughs> what if I cool the room down? Yeah. What if I eat a little Milky Way? What if I... <laughs> So I've gotten really good at some of that stuff. All things are possible through caffeine and sugar. That's that's it. So how many days a week are you running? Uh, I usually I've been running probably for the last couple of years seven days a week. Okay. Uh, and I got up last summer. I got up to a couple hundred mile weeks. Wow. That's like a whole different country. Yeah. I can tell you that much. That yeah. was fascinating. Okay. Um, because I was racing timed ultras, uh, ultras on a short route, okay. closed route, which I love those. And I hope I get to do those again sometime soon. Um, and then I just stopped seven days a week, probably two weeks ago, because I'm focused on the strength phase. Okay. Um, and I wanted to, it's, it's, I wanted to see what that development would be like. Sometimes strength running a lot can hinder kind of muscle development. Yeah. So, so I'm running a little bit less, but I don't like it as much. Yeah. <laughs> I want yeah. to run more. So I'm fighting it. <laughs> so how many days a week are you strength training then? So five days. So okay. I do two leg days, three upper body days. Okay. So going set plan, obviously, um, you know what mm -hmm. the focus is and not just winging it. No, I'm not just winging it. <laughs> not just winging it. Trying to get those pull-ups mastered too. So we'll see. Yeah. They're not easy. That's, that's hard. Yeah. I got to pull I up. have this giant rubber band that I use my knee in to, you know, help me right now. And even that's challenging. So. Yeah. I was just going to say that because that's why I have a pull-up bar that I got and I have a rubber band there to help me to do it. And even yeah. that, it, it still sucks. <laughs> well, and, and fortunately Tom taught me, I'm not, I'm getting, I'm not there yet, but Tom taught me, you know, jump up and then do the eccentric. Yeah. Only. So, yeah. Okay, cool. And if you ever want, if you ever want a, someone to interview that's really fascinating and fun, Tom's a great guy because 
he uh, has been a triathlete adventure racer, but he suffered a catastrophic uh, mountain bike injury and uh, is a quadriplegic. Oh, really? Okay. And But he's the head strength coach at IU and now races uh, um, hand cycles and everything else. And he's really been super helpful to me and my development and motivational too. Awesome. Yeah, I, um, I think... And probably in something that I read with you, I, I saw, I came across his name. Um, so that's cool. Yeah. yeah I, he's a great guy. Okay. Um, and actually maybe even Louisa, does Louisa, I wonder if Louisa knows. Yeah. Louisa knows him. Yeah. That's why I think Louisa also brought him up. Um, so do you do any meditation or mind body stuff? No, I don't in terms of traditional mm-hmm. kinds. I've tried it. Um, I find that my training tends to be very meditational for me. I'll do a portion. I don't listen to music all the time when I run. Um, I find that uh, it's very helpful time for me to think about things and process things. And, and, um, but that's, that's about it. I take a nap every day. Okay. Uh, <laughs> that's helpful. <laughs> so, uh, sleep as far as are you pretty good at getting sleep during the week or maybe how about yeah. before event? Any problems? Oh, I never sleep before an event. Do you? No, never. Lucky I get about an hour <laughs> and a half. Yeah. I don't even sleep before the events, the made up events I create for our team. <laughs> it's insane. <laughs> I was like, you've got to be kidding me. Yeah. Yeah. That's... Especially not before an Iron Man. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Those who are about to die <laughs> don't sleep. But obviously it, it doesn't affect you because you still go out there and put it down pretty good. <laughs> yeah, caffeine and sugar, man. Yeah. Caffeine and sugar. <laughs> so how many Ironman do you think you have done? Do you remember? It's in the teens. Okay. But I'm not sure overall. You know, and it's kind of funny. I have DNF'd probably every race distance once. Okay. And I bring that up because sometimes people think, you know, you're on the crazy end because you've done all these Ironmans and everything yeah. else. Um, and I t- and I tell people this because I don't go back on reflect on that. Yeah. I mean, they they were one. They're almost always because something happens injury wise. Um, and I think for me, it's important that I live to race another day. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, so one time at nationals, I was racing uh, Olympic and my calf went out in the middle of the run, which was, uh, we didn't foresee it happening. Yeah. Um, and then I went on from that injury a few short weeks later and I won my age group at Louisville, Ironman Louisville. So I, I tell people that stuff happens. Um, and if you're not just holding out for one great race, but you keep rolling them. Yeah. It's good. And that's what, you know, I plan on doing that. I want to keep rolling. I think that is so important what you just said, because I think that is the hardest part. People, uh, these DNFs, um, people think, well, okay, I'm never going to quit. Sometimes you have to quit. And you're right. Your goal is to live and fight another day. And it's to for the next race, because you're going to be injured. You can injure yourself so bad that that two weeks that you would take off maybe after this by quitting turns into six months because you never, because you really overdid it and made it worse. And I think people see that as a failure and really out of that, I think there's huge benefits um, long-term, but it's hard. 
when you're in the I, moment. I totally <laughs> agree with you. And it is hard, you yeah. know, and there are times in races where you see someone that's crashed and they've broken something and they're walking the marathon. Yeah. And I just, I just want to go up and go, no, that's enough for today. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you. We really appreciate it. Now go to the hospital. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's not where so you want to end up. No. And you know, we just, it's hard to, because there's a lot of people that participate in our sport that use it um, in a very positive way to address mental health issues, yeah. which is fantastic. Yeah. Um, conversely though, it can backfire too. Yeah. And, and those are hard, those are hard, uh, decisions to make for people sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. I think we all have that. Uh, I've heard what the phrase FOPO fear of other people's opinions, but they're so worried Mm -hmm. about somebody saying, Oh, so-and-so didn't finish. And that's just so wrong. Um, yeah. And you know, I think we think people think about us too much. Yeah. (laughs) i mean seriously after this is over you're not going to be home going i wonder what sue's having for dinner tonight yeah (laughs) i mean really in the greater scheme of things no people no yeah so during um say a race and you know we all go in with expectations and uh, unfortunately there's certain times during that race where we realize looking at whether our, our watch or looking at say, okay, maybe that expectation isn't going to happen. What do you do to try to snap yourself back out of that and maybe try to regroup to. I always tell athletes and myself, bad thoughts aren't bad. Mm-hmm. We all have them, but if you can practice in your training, replacing every negative thought with a positive one. Okay. So and I do this in my training and I ask the athletes I work with to do this too. Now, Oh, I feel awful. Okay. That's not going to work. So, so replace it with Sue, you feel great. Sue, you're racing. Well, Sue, you're all of those things can be very helpful. Um, and I implement those when I race. Sue, you're strong. Okay. Um, and, and the other thing is usually bad thoughts, negative thoughts or a poor, stretch in a race when we have poor stretches in every race, right? Yeah, yeah. You can't, you can't race that long and not have poor stretches. Yeah. They're usually a, a nutrition or hydration issue. Okay. And getting athletes to not trust the highs mm-hmm. and remember the lows often mean I need more carbs or yeah. I need more Gatorade or something. Um, Cause we're constantly doing an inventory. The best athletes are constantly doing inventory. So yeah. do your inventory and then adjust your stock. Okay. So as far as nutrition, um, did it take you a while to get that worked out or you've been pretty good with your nutrition? It took me, when I started it, I used a product that had protein in it. <laughs> and because I, you know, I didn't know anything back then. And that was back in the day where I went to this camp and the coach is like, take ibuprofen while you're racing. <laughs> I think back on it, I'm like, oh my God, yeah. what was going on back then? Um, and and just for anybody listening, don't take ibuprofen yeah. ever no. when you're racing. It's dangerous. No. Yeah. Um, but, uh, and I remember I did, I think it was my, my first Ironman, it went okay. But you know, you're going so slow. Yeah. Your first Ironman, <laughs> that everything kind of works out. Yeah. And my second one, I was trying to pick it up and it was hot. 
And I remember trying to drink my drink and it turned <laughs> the protein, the whey protein. Oh. oh my God. So then um, I started to research uh, nutrition more, Nancy Clark. And then I, the one that's been super helpful for me is Asker Jukendrup. I'll probably maul his name. Okay. But he has a great website. Okay. And he's done a lot of the research on carbs and you know, our bodies, regardless of your body weight, you can teach your body to absorb 60 to 90 grams of carbs, mixed carbs an hour. Okay. So I eat more than most people when I race. Okay. Um, especially on the bike and it works very well for me, but I train for it too. Like okay. I'll practice it. Okay. Um, do you, uh, work in any run walk? Oh yeah. Okay. Both of the Ironmans I've won in my age group. I walked pretty close to 26 aid stations. Okay. Yeah. Okay. It, it works great. I really, the end of the aid station, it might not be long, yeah. but it's enough to get hydration, fluid in, anything I need to eat, and then you run to the next. And back, that was back in the day. It was Ironman Texas and Ironman Louisville, and they were both in really hot times of the year. They were super hot races. Yeah. I Meet mean, Texas on the run. You were literally running the run course and people were lying down in the run receiving IVs. Yeah. <laughs> and you just would run by them like a car wreck. You didn't want to look. Yeah. You didn't want to be that person. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, it's very effective. It's hard to get athletes to walk. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It is just so challenging. It's so effective because you save heartbeats. Your heart yeah. rate drops. Yeah. And then you run to the next stage station. Yeah, I th and th that's the reason I bring it up because people look at your time and say, "Okay, yeah, you did a three forty nine and but they think that you're just running all out the whole time. So I think it's a good mm -hmm. lesson for people because I've been doing a lot more run walk, and obviously, um, you know, I always walk the aid stations, and um, I think you have to. I think that advantage of giving your heart rate that break. I had talked to a um, Bob Becker. He was a 74 year old who did a race for the ages and he had 74 hours and he ran 230 miles. And really? That, yep. Wow. And, but he did a, a one minute run, one minute walk the whole time. Um, so I did that back in September for my 51st birthday and did 52 miles and just one minute run, one minute walk, very uh, concrete and I felt great after that. I probably could have kept going. And I think as far as recovery, just adding in any increment of a, of a walk just changes your gait mechanics, allows your heart rate to come down. There's a huge advantage that people say, oh, I can't walk. You can walk. <laughs> and it's good for you. Yeah. Well, <laughs> when I do timed ultras, yeah. I pick certain portions of the course that I'm going to walk. Yeah. Because I know, I think I did about 100K the last one. Okay. Um. And there was a little hill. I walked up the little hill and there was a little hill on the other side. I walked down the little hill yeah. and then I walked the aid stations. And yeah. you're right. It changes the mechanics. And it, it's a, it's also a mental break. We yep. forget about just sometimes our brains need, a, we need a moment to collect ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. So what's the longest distance you've run? That would probably be the longest distance I've run. Okay. hundred. And I wanted to, I was toying with the idea of, of something longer, but then COVID hit. So. Yeah. So on the bucket list? I don't know yet. <laughs> I haven't decided. You know, I'm getting up on the end of the age group. So yeah. I want to power through when I get to the next age group and yeah. have a really strong year. Yeah. So I've got to kind of figure out, you know, um, we've talked a lot about me 
just getting strong right now, focusing what I'm focused on through next November. And then next November, the push starts for racing well at 55. Okay. So what are you going to do? Um, we may have already talked about it. What are you going to do to be able to do this for another 20 or 30 years? Oh, <laughs> you know, unfortunately, I'm well suited to it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I sometimes, you know, you see the the nun that runs in her 80s, yeah. triathlon in her 80s. And I'm like, it. damn it. I want someone to tell me that at a certain age, you should stop. <laughs> um, no, I think, I think continuing to find ways to bring me joy with it yeah. is super important. I've been very fortunate. You know, I've had, had Gordo, I had Marilyn, and then uh, I've been also, Alan Cousins uh, has been very helpful to me, and Justin Dare. Okay. Uh, and we created this kind of community of people of all different ages that do camps together and do things together, and they're all over the world. Okay. And I think having those kind of peers has been super helpful for me in creating those kind of relationships. And we reinforce each other to to keep staying active and competing, and and it may evolve. Yeah. You know, people are starting to get fat bikes and gravel bikes, and and take up other things, and then they suck the rest of us into it. <laughs> um, nothing like peer pressure. Nope, that's the way so, it works. FOMO. Yeah, and <laughs> so I really do, you know, and I'm fortunate. My family really supports me in it. Yeah. So that's helpful too. You've got to have a good foundation to give you the time, money, and effort to, mm -hmm. to do this stuff. And so I've been fortunate there too. So, and it really is a lifestyle. So yeah, I think I'm committed. Yeah, that's great. Um, having that, that core group around you that one can support you, but then also maybe give you a little shake every now and then to kind of yeah. do us a reality, I it, think is important. And I will tell you, you know, in a year and a half ago, my best friend and my sister died after an extended illness. And I was yeah. with her the whole time um, in her treatment and then it, through her death. And yeah. and I bring that up because, you know, not a day goes by. I don't think about what she can't do. Yeah. And I think about her, how her life went and it was cut short at that age and and I'm lucky and yeah. I wish she was here and she's not, but I honor her too by, you know, continuing to live as well as I can, as long as I can. So, you know, it's been an unusual experience to have that. I don't recommend it. Um, but it's also been helpful to allow me to continue to see the big picture. Yeah, I think that's important. I know for me, I had a childhood friend die of cancer when I was in high school. And every day I just feel as a blessing. Some days I forget mm -hmm. that. Um, but then, you know, it comes back to say how lucky I am to be able to do what I'm doing right now. And so that kind of yeah. lead, kind of leads me to my last statement that I had on uh, thing was uh, I use the hashtag my miles are for just for that purpose to re just reinforce everything that I do has a purpose um, for you. What is it for you, Sue? I am, I'm not, I don't practice a religion, even though mm -hmm. I was brought up Catholic, Roman Catholic. Um, I think that I feel inherent responsibility to be the best me I can be 
in the context of my family and my community. So I, I don't adhere, there isn't a specific moral code I can identify, um, but that's how I choose to live my life. And it gives me depth and meaning. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it's something that motivates me every day to get out of bed and get that 5 a.m. ice cold run done. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I also, I do want to say, you know, we're not people that should be telling anyone about moderation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but there's, there's nothing, I don't have like, hard and fast rules about what I will do and won't do. Yeah. I'll have a bourbon sometimes. <laughs> you know, I'll make something super unhealthy, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, it it's all in this context of what is a full life. And yeah. I'm doing my best to have that. I love it. Uh great. Um Sue, thanks a lot. I don't want to keep you much longer. I know you got a busy no. day of some things, but <laughs> hey. The bagel the bageling continues, even in COVID. The bageling continues. Hey, I know people. Hey, Pete, yes. Thank you. And remember, we are those of us that grew up in western New York are hearty stock. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Blizzard of seventy seven, man. I know. Uh, it's funny, I talk about that all the time. I was telling we lived in Rochester at that point in Blizzard of seventy seven, and I remember opening our garage. I was, a, I was eight at the time, so we had, our driveway came down. You opened our garage, and it basically was a wall of snow. The whole thing Isn't was a snow crazy? drift. So, I mean, as a kid, that was awesome, you know, tunneling through that. Thinking about it now, I'm like, I don't know how safe that was, <laughs> you know? <laughs> I remember we had the ice storm afterwards, and I remember yep. ice skating on our front yard. Yeah. <laughs> it was crazy. So, hey, thank you, and thanks for all you're doing for your community. I know you're doing a great job in our community, and... and we need people like you to continue to spread the word. So yeah. thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. Uh, lastly, Sue, um, how can people uh, find you if they want to find you? They can find me on Twitter at, at F-E woman, F-E as in the element iron woman, and then Sue at F-E-Woman.com. They can also find us on ethosendure.com. Okay. Thanks a lot. You have a great hey, weekend. Thanks. It's been great. Okay. Great talking to you. Okay. You bye, too. Sue. Bye. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and were able to get some insight into how one weathering athlete approaches each day of training and racing to stay as injury-free as possible. I believe her biggest strength is her knowledge as a coach, but also her willingness to utilize the expertise of those around her to take her to the next level. Her winter project of Get Too Strong with a nutritionist and Tom Morris, the head strength coach at Indiana University, provided a great foundation for her success. As a business owner and athlete, she has learned to self-select those things that prevent her from getting overcommitted. She has the good fortune of being able to train around 20 hours a week, which she says is her sweet spot. And when training for her ultra running events, she may peak at 100 miles a week, which allows her to go into her events well conditioned. She is strength training five days a week, and each workout has a purpose. She's not just throwing the weights around. Due to COVID, she has made the difficult decision to pivot her business and training to limit her her family's, and her employees' exposure. Another one of her strengths, as she states, is knowing her values. For her, it is her family, health, and business. Her goal is for acute morbidity, which is to stay as healthy as she can as long as she can. Plus, as she rightfully points out, anyone from Buffalo are hearty stock. Lastly, I want to give a shout-out to Louisa Raysbeck for her introduction. It was greatly appreciated. Thank you for taking time in your busy schedule. If you find today's or any other episode inspiring, I ask you to consider to join our patron program. 
Details can be found at www.weatheredathlete.com. Also, please don't forget to hit subscribe to this podcast, share with your friends, give me a rating on iTunes, leave me a comment, or drop me a line if you feel what you have what it takes to enter the Weathered Athlete podcast. Lastly, no matter how you complete your miles, I encourage you to use the following hashtag, my miles are for, as a way to reinforce the purpose of those miles. As always, my miles are for the journey, people are sick.